At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, the podcast for 99% of people that get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. I want to thank everybody for joining us here in the new year of 2022. It feels interesting to say that. There's a lot of people out there that are cautious saying, well, it's 2020 comma T-O-O. And uh, let's hope that's not the case here as we continue to move forward and move upwards. So exciting new season, a podcast here for you. Great new episodes, great new guests. And speaking of great new guests, allow me to introduce Susan Conover, CEO and co-founder of Fiction Health. Susan, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much for having me. Now you get the dubious honor of kind of kicking off our new season here, bigger, bolder, more to talk about, more to say, I guess is the best way to put that. But Piction Health, you guys hit our radar because you're doing some incredible stuff, really working with empowering patients in the area of skin disease. And I felt it was timely that, you know, it's the middle of winter. A lot of people in the Northern states have some type of dry skin or dry issues that, you know, they think, hey, maybe I should have a doctor take a look at this. What's the best way to do that? Do I want to even access it? How do I access a doctor? You know, is a question that a lot of patients have who are not familiar with Freedom Doc, Freedom Health Works, and the direct primary care movement. Um, and so, Piction Health, give us a little bit of background of, of what you guys are doing and really why you're doing it, because you have an amazing kind of a patient story to tell as well. And I love talking to people like yourself who are smart and, and motivated, but they're doing it for the right reasons because you've experienced the system. You've, you've experienced what it's like to be sick and have a desire to change it. So take it away. Thank you so much. Um, so Susan Conover, I am trained as a mechanical engineer, worked in management consulting and really missed product development. And so I came back to school to MIT to go deep in that. And I was first diagnosed with melanoma when I was 22. I um, called my dermatologist to get in and was like, you know, there's something really concerning. And I heard, you know, everyone thinks they have melanoma. We can see you in three months. And I ended up going to my primary care physician who biopsied my mole and it ended up being cancerous. Obviously, this is like a hard, anytime you have any sort of big diagnosis like that, you just stop in your tracks and reflect, um, but also help me understand a little bit of problems around access to care. And so, you know, I focused on my thesis at MIT to go really deep on this topic and understand problems and identifying skin issues and how technology can help and learned a ton, um, including, of course, it's, it's not just me, 2.3 billion people around the world have skin problems every year. 
two thirds of those are managed in primary care. And because these doctors uh, only spend so much time in medical school learning dermatology, they misdiagnose about half of cases. And we realized that that was a really big opportunity um, to use technology and use computer vision and empower these frontline providers to have the visual expertise of a dermatologist. And so that's what we've built. We have a product. You can use it as an iPhone app. You can also use it in virtual care to take a photo of a skin problem, answer three simple questions, and then we provide the what's called a differential diagnosis of the most visually similar conditions to the picture taken, and then the right history to gather to make the right next step for each patient every time. And so right, that's so what we've been. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It, it's a great. It's a great story here, and and something just popped in my mind that. Obviously, you know, we're starting off year three of the COVID-19 you know, pandemic. And early on, the reason why I mentioned that is early on, a lot of the medical community was saying, well, virtual care, telemedicine is going to just replace physical appointments. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of the fallback was, well, we, we still need physical appointments because doctor needs to get your hand, get their hands on you, look at moles. I mean, I've had specific conversations where doctors like, no, I need to get in and look at somebody's mole. Yeah. And then now you're saying, well, actually with Piction, we can get in there and take a picture of this and then run it through our algorithm, run it through our process, and then come out the other, other side and say, Hey, this might be something that you need to take another look at. I mean, how does that work from walk us through that process of kind of empowering patients to really take charge in, in a way that's convenient for them? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So we went really deep and talked to over 600 different stakeholders in healthcare to understand more about this problem and realized that rashes like psoriasis or eczema or shingles, dry skin, those are 80% of problems that appear in primary care and often kept in primary care. Often doctors say, try this antifungal first, see if it works, try the steroid and realize that that was a big opportunity for leverage and improvement. And so decided skin cancer is a really important topic that has a few strings attached to it, like wanting a high definition photo or information over time about how something's changed. And so decided to focus first in an area where it's pretty easy to take a a photo of a skin problem with a smartphone, enabling a patient at home to understand, you know, take that photo and send it in and enabling a remote doctor or an in-person doctor to quickly evaluate that case and and know the right next steps to take and questions to ask. So it's getting the right information in front of the right people. Always, always important. Now, you mentioned, you know, take a step back from your personal story, which, again, thank you for sharing that. And it's always very powerful. And, and you know, my heart goes out and, and, and a heartfelt thanks to any guest, anybody out there that says, look, I've experienced this. This is how I was sick and how I want to change things. Going back to when you first found out that you had melanoma, or even if you were suspicious from it and your dermatologist said, well, we'll see you in three months. What was that kind of tick in your mind, that switch where you said, well, that's not acceptable? So I was first diagnosed with a stage 2B melanoma, and we didn't know that, but decided, you know, okay, we'll do a large excision and I'll do a PET scan and see if it's expanded. And then a month and a half later, I had a stage 0, and about eight months later, I had another stage 0 melanoma. And I was told by dermatologists, like, hey, you're a high-risk patient. We need to see you regularly and just call us and we'll get you in. But 
there is a group of people handling the phones that they're responsible for. Uh, they have a lot of mandates, but there's no way for them to look at a case and see like, oh, this patient really does need to get in tomorrow. It's really hard to triage. And with the rise of cosmetics procedures like Botox and fillers, it's even harder to get into a dermatologist because those are that's interesting. You know, that, that's care that's paid high margin out of pocket, same day. You don't have to bill insurance. And so there's just a lot of competing factors that have sort of created this current situation. And now the hardest referral to get is to a dermatologist because there's just such a limited supply and so much demand. And so it was a mix of frustrations. It was also learning that I should have had a fine needle aspiration from, you know, talking to a melanoma expert while I was at MIT and focusing in my thesis on this instead of a PET scan and realizing the sort of comedy of errors that helped me have a melanoma that was right before it would have gone into lymph nodes and distant organs. And it's just because my mom made me go to the doctor when she saw a mole on my birthday. And so it's just like too many accidents had to happen to catch it when it was caught the first one. And just like how many people can say they have a, you know, family and friends who are trained or have, you know, can identify that sort of thing. It's just, I don't know. I don't want to spin a roulette wheel and not know what's going on with my own body. I want to know and have the resources and have doctors who have the resources to make sure they care every, every time the right way. I love the roulette wheel analogy, but so many people do just in conversations. A lot of people will start to say that, you know, the number one cause of death in the United States was caused by medical care being put off because Mm -hmm. it's saying, well, I don't have time to waste an afternoon in the office. I don't have time to book. I I can't book an appointment for three weeks out. You know, I'm just going to try to tough it out. And thank goodness, you know, nothing escalated from your standpoint. You caught it in time. I will say that, but yeah, it kind of makes you look back and say, well, how did we get here? And that, that that winding road just from a personal standpoint, But then it's kind of, you take a step back and say, how many people missed that? How many people weren't as fortunate to have your mom saying, no, 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 seriously, go look at this, right? And they being in front of the right people. Yeah. And so is that one of the motivators that you said, you know what, I can can help out a lot of people by doing this just from my experiences alone? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a hard question, right? Because I wasn't in healthcare before. And so how do I learn about a whole field and how do I make an impact? What's an area I can leverage, but with skin being so visually identified just, and computer vision is better than experts when you have the right data and, you know, just like learning a, a series of things that have changed in the last 10 years, realize that this was a, an area to have impact and uh, of course, I'd like to get back to skin cancer eventually, use the same technology that we're using on rashes to address that problem in the future. But also realize, you know, people with psoriasis and eczema, which both affect over 1% of the population or shingles or fungal infections, those people are frustrated and don't know what to do and, you know, have a, a trusted PCP, most likely. And uh, just realized that there was so much impact we could have with starting there that just decided this is the best move for now from a strategic perspective, but we can get to that stuff in the future. One of the things that really fascinates me about this is when you say like, look, we have technology identify rashes and that kind of stuff. 
I would just imagine, and this is me maybe being a layman, I was pre-med and undergrad and did not go to medical school. And that's about as far as, you know, my medical education went, even though we help doctors, you know, with practice, start to practices and support them. There have to be so many different types of rashes and how they manifest. I mean, how do you possibly go around and catalog every single skin condition out there, not, you know, most of them to be able to generate a probable, not to say diagnosis, but, but, you know, advice on what to do next. Yeah. So, and it's a, it's a hot topic, right? Like there's 3000 <laughs> different skin issues. I mean, what eczema you alone, start? like you mentioned eczema and psoriasis is like, that can be, it's kind of a catch-all, right? Like, well, I really don't know what that is. It's just put it in this junk drawer over here and throw some different stuff at it. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, one of our uh, advisors is like the chief of dermatology at a major medical center. He was like, oh, we think that eight, there are 18 different types of psoriasis. T- technically, psoriasis could be 18 different diseases, but we're still exploring that stuff. At least how we thought about it was just taking how doctors think about it. And PCPs think like, what's it most likely to be? But also, if it were something concerning, what could it be? And how do I you know, rule that out? And so where RAI has over 50 different rashes in it, which is over 95% of cases that appear in primary care, which is a mix of those common things like psoriasis and those critical things that are not common, but you really want to know about them like secondary syphilis or, you know, conditions like that. And to just make sure our product is really amazing at doing a first pass evaluation. But, you know, if a patient fails treatment or something like that, make sure that that patient gets accelerated to a dermatologist. And so they can make that evaluation, especially if it's a rare conditioner. And so how we've just thought about it is really 80-20 thinking like what, like what are the conditions where there's the highest leverage that we start with and is like a product that's helping either the same in care delivery or better in care delivery for every patient. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, adding more and more as we go. Well, everything you're saying, I'm like sitting here like, yep, yep. That makes it, that makes a ton of sense. And one of the hallmarks of what we do with Freedom Health Works is we look at that at leveling the playing field of access. And, and this sounds like it's something that, you know, if somebody didn't have a primary care physician or didn't have access to a dermatologist or, you know, the vast majority of Americans that think, well, I don't have insurance or my insurance doesn't cover this. So I, I can't go see a doctor, which is ludicrous to me, you know, still in this day and age, this gives them an option when dealing with skin issues that even if it's like you said, it might not be cancer, but if it makes you uncomfortable, don't put it off. There are options out there. Are you seeing a lot of traction and a lot of interest from consumer groups, uh, health groups? Where are you seeing kind of the business side of this go? Um, and I only ask that just because, you know, you follow the business and, and follow the dollars on great ideas and hopefully they get to the people that need it the most. Yeah. Uh, I mean, business model is probably one of the hardest things if you're making something new in healthcare. So I appreciate that question. So we have really gone deep on this, uh, exploring a lot of different options, like identifying patients earlier for dermatology clinical trials and, you know, various things. And we identified that there are two primary segments that are a really good fit for what we're doing at this stage. The first is integrated pair provider organizations, which is like, you know, DPC in a larger scale where um, they're trying to 
empower primary care, improve outcomes, reduce costs, and realize that, you know, equipping that PCP to do more and, you know, deliver virtual care, that sort of thing, can enable that care to be delivered at a larger scale, high quality care. Um, And then the second is virtual first primary care organizations Mm -hmm. that are trying to automate various stages of primary care delivery, including inbounding questions, including using AI to generate new history questions, but they don't really have a way to move the needle on photo-based issues and photos are worth a thousand words. So integrating into their systems to enable them to manage at scale and make the right call for, you know, thousands of patients a day who have skin issues. Right. It makes a ton of sense. And virtuals, I think the right way to put this, but a lot of people rely on it for a lot of different things. And it's kind of slippery slope. I think we see that from a physician standpoint too. Talk to a lot of doctors who just want to do virtual. Talk to a lot of patients who think that all their health woes can be solved virtually. Jury's really still out on that one, but there is a lot of money going that route. And so I wish you, you know, the best of luck in, in doing that. Any ideas or any desire to go more consumer-based? Is there anything there? Yeah. So we actually started there and just, you know, decided to make a pivot toward doctors. And one of the reasons for that is patients encounter skin issues, you know, once or twice a year on average and primary care physicians encounter five plus cases a day. And so Mm -hmm. just realize that for focus reasons and for leverage reasons, realize that would be a better fit and also just business model. I think, you know, direct to consumer healthcare is really tough. I think some major telemedicine companies who've raised a ton of money and deliver like Viagra pills have had a harder time expanding to maternal care or women's care or other other areas, you know, outside of specifically Viagra. <laughs> so, sure. so I think, you know, we just decided, you know, based on the strengths of the team and the market information to go this direction. And, you know, we do, we do have on a roadmap to make patient decision support in the future, because I fundamentally care at the end of the day at like, are patients getting better care or are they not? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really important way to, to have that outreach and, and skin is so relatable, right? Like I think people have trouble with uh, behavior change around weight loss or diabetes or hypertension, because you know it's like a, it's in the, I should do this category. But when you have a rash on your leg and you want to go to the beach, like you're like, <laughs> Like maybe I should solve this problem. So it's a little easier to start in the reactive uh, phase as well. And so that's on our side. It's just such a relatable problem to have Mm -hmm. just a rash or some skin issue, but we'll get there eventually. No, that's great. And the reason I ask, um, you know, we're all about empowering patients. Uh, You know, physicians are, most physicians are very overworked. It's those lucky few have seen the light and and have been plucked out of you know the hospital world and 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 are in the DPC world or whatever they want to call it concierge DPC uh, membership boutique you name it and you are familiar with that industry and, and that's why I love talking to guests like yourself that are saying no I, I I'm right there I understand the cutting edge of how medical services can be delivered so. How does your product make inroads to a physician community in a medical community that, you know, are used to actually patient empowerment, doing everything, you know, working for that patient, not working for a paycheck, so to speak, and not just treating patients like numbers to get in and out of the exam room as quickly as possible? 
Yeah. So, I mean, specifically for direct primary care doctors, we've had some of our strongest resonance in our early users from that group because they're focused on how do I deliver the care as much as possible to this patient? And I'm not quite sure about this rash, but maybe I don't think it needs to be referred to a dermatologist just yet. And so helps with some of that, like hemming and hawing and, and saying like, I'm not sure I think it could be psoriasis, but I'm not sure what else it could be. And so I'm, mm-hmm. you know, not sure how to go from here, triage down. Should I just prescribe an antifungal or a steroid? And so how we help them is, you know, we help them save three minutes off an encounter because we're focusing them on the most relevant history, which is, you know, a difference in how dermatologists practice and, and primary care and help them increase confidence and, you know, have that patient recover from the first experience. So they come back and, and, you know, love this doctor rather than the, the old guess and check method, which is so common in rashes. Oh, very common. Well, not just in rashes, Susan. I mean, that is, that is, <laughs> I think you just, you just hit the, the nail on the head there for the vast majority of medical encounters in this great nation. Yeah. And the reason why I went there, I mean, you mentioned before that a lot of primary care physicians just don't have time to sit there and actually research things. And so that's why I was asking, you know, when you have a DPC physician that has maybe 60 minutes with a patient to sit there and and go over stuff, maybe research them, you know, in the exam room with them. I was just wondering if that influenced what Piction was able to deliver uh, from a value standpoint, or if this was really geared for those really overworked doctors that are trying to do their best, but they're just in a bad environment. Yeah. I mean, certainly the time savings and, you know, making the right choice the first time are important value props of what we've built. I think it's also, you know, specifically in in taking into account DPC feedback is like how many touch points to, you know, if I'm using a platform for e-consults, even if it's 50 bucks or something, a consult that's way cheaper than a specialty visit. It requires, you know, me trying to give the patient something, logging back in four hours later to hear this, you know, having almost basically another encounter. And so it's just like, can we solve it at point of care right away and move on to the the next issue um, and deliver the best care possible for this patient? That's that's one of our ways we've specifically heard how we can help doctors in direct primary care. But also just like, you know, patient satisfaction matters a lot more to DPC doctors versus other physicians and certainly burnout. And so that time savings and, you know, making the right choice. I think a lot of trade teaching 40 years ago was how do you memorize everything and be able to recall it every moment, 10 years later, 20 years after you learn your algorithms. And we've moved into an age where it's like, there's so much information available. How do you find the right information at the right time? Mm-hmm. And so we're, enable this, we're enabling this advanced search and this like, okay, how do I pull the right information at the right moment to make the right call rather than just having to store everything well, it's, in during medical it's, school? Yeah, it's, it's borrowing a page from advanced manufacturing. I mean, what you just described was just-in-time healthcare. Yeah, exactly. I need a part. I need that knowledge. How do I go out and find it and, and, and uh, figure out where it is and, and plug it in without sacrificing throughput time, the end results? Uh, so there's a lot of parallels <laughs> in what you just said there. Closing argument here. I want to I pick on the dermatologist here because you, you said something that I wasn't aware of, but you know, it's tough getting into a dermatologist office. And you mentioned that a lot of them are going towards not necessarily life-saving treatments, but you mentioned cash pay, out-of-pocket, very high-dollar items that are pushing out, you know, some of the actual potentially life-threatening cases 
coming their way. Any insight you've been able to find of why that behavior is happening? I have a couple of hypotheses, pretty basic, <laughs> but I just want to hear from you. You've, you spent a lot of time researching this and a lot of time in that world. Yeah. I mean, when I talk to this is a tricky spot you're putting me in because we work with a lot of dermatologists and, you know, partner with their data and they're validating our technology. And, um, but I think what I've at least heard is it's just so hard to become a dermatologist. And a lot of times they say like, oh, did you recently develop a love of pigmented lesions? When like some of the reasons that people decide to become dermatologists are because you work nine to four, four days a week, you get paid a lot, you don't have emergencies, it's good quality of life, right? There are a lot of really specific benefits for being a dermatologist. And, and it is it's like one of the hardest specialties to, to be in. But like the economics of cosmetics procedures is compelling from a business perspective. And um, it's just like, kind of the same reason some doctors don't see Medicaid patients. And so it's a controversial thing to talk about and discuss, of course. Um, but, you know, how I see it is like, hey, there's a ripe opportunity sure. to empower patients to make better decisions at home and primary care physicians make better decisions in the clinic or remotely. And this sort of economic situation has created a gap for us to be able to fill. And so I, you know, I can't complain. I think the right answer there uh, was just say, Hey, blame the insurance companies and, you know, and move <laughs> on with it. And everybody's gonna be like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people like there is absolute need for health insurance, but more of a financial tool. So you don't bankrupt yourself with a really severe health problem. Your house burns down, you've got homeowner's insurance. You have a cancer diagnosis or something really, really bad happens to you, to your body. That's why you have health insurance. But I, I think yeah. people just, we use it as a prepaid health plan and that's what creates problems. And yeah. that's why we force doctors to see, you know, not we, not, not us. My team's going to kill me by saying that, but that's why a lot of <laughs> hospital systems, uh, you know, force doctors to see 30, 40 patients a day because it's just treat them as freedom, just burn through people. Yeah, that way. it's fair. I mean, like, uh, so I, I specifically got a degree in system design at MIT. And so you learn about like complex systems and multi-stakeholder situations and what can happen. And one of the common trends is the handoffs you mess up. The specific, if you're responsible for building widget A, you do a great job. But how widget A interacts with widget B, that's where things get dropped. And triaging to know, okay, this patient actually has a stage two melanoma. There's no way for a dermatologist to know that. And today, you know, and like they're, and they're certainly not going to get paid by insurance to do that triaging. And so there's like a, a series of unfortunate events that have sort of created this current situation that makes widget A really amazing <laughs> connection a lot tougher and it, it makes innovation harder. Cause like, if you're like, Hey, we can fix this connection, but there's no way to pay for it. That's really tricky. So yeah, you could certainly like poke at the insurance companies, but you know, there's also vanity, right? Do we want to blame vanity and why everyone wants Botox and fillers? We can do that too. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. It's all on the table, right? It's a, it's a free spot here. It's a safe space. As the kids say these days, we always have an old saying here at Freedom HealthWorks that there is no insurance billing code for actually curing somebody. Yeah. And so when you actually have to treat and fix somebody, those dollars down the line, they disappear. 
And too much medicine right now is a very lucrative business for all the wrong reasons. But Susan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm fascinated by fiction health here. I wish you the best of luck. And thank you for coming on the podcast. And thank you for being a guest here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Once again, that's Susan Conover, co-founder and CEO of Fiction Health. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Be sure to check us out on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And as always, to our faithful and new listeners, let us know your thoughts at any point on any subject or any future guest. We're always looking for fun ideas to help tell the stories and uh, help push innovation and healthcare forward. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Americana. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.